Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. And we're in kind of a cool, fun spot today because... Um, we're not actually in any particular series right now. We're getting ready to go into one. We're sort of in between two. So I was able to just pray and ask the Lord, what would you have for us this week? What do you want to share with us? And uh, the Lord had put some different things on my, on my mind over the last couple of weeks, and I was really leaning into it. And the Lord made it very clear that today we were supposed to look at John chapter 21. So you guys can start getting set up there. Go to John 21 now. We're going to be reading that in a minute. But this is really special to me, honestly, that we get to do this, because the book of John in particular, but John 21 especially, means a lot to me. Um, And it means a lot to me because several years ago, I don't know exactly what the purpose was or the reason why, but the Lord put it on my heart and he said, hey, I want you to study through this book, through the book of John in your personal time. So that's what I did, and I studied through the whole book. It took quite a while to do it, and I finished it, and It's like, okay, Lord, what's next? What will you have for me to study next? And he said, the book of John. It's like, okay. So I studied it again. Went through the whole book again. Studied the whole thing. Several weeks go by. Finish it up. All right, Lord, that was really cool. I just didn't see a lot of that stuff. What do you want me to read now? Book of John. Literally years of that. Over and over and over and over and over again, I read through the book of John. And the Lord revealed so many cool things to me. This, the book of John means so much to me because of what the Lord's shown me. And John chapter 21 in specific is a chapter that the Lord has really breathed new life into me through. So it's a real honor that the Lord would say, hey, all that stuff that you studied, all those years that you read through this, I want you to share some of that. I want, I want the church to be encouraged through this as well. So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing today. It's going to be a little different of a message than usual. Um, Normally, we would have some points that we'd put up on the screen, but today I want to just share with you the story of what's happening here. So it's going to be a little different. Um, There's still going to be things you can jot down, notes you can take, but I've really prayed a lot before I'm sharing this over all of this and over all of you that the Lord and through His Spirit, He would just reveal different truths to each of you wherever you're at. Um, And there's going to be a lot of things that can be applied to our lives, but we're not going to have anything on the screen specifically. And I just want us to really feel and experience what's taking place as we read this together. Um, What we're going to be diving in in John 21, why it's meant so much to me, is because it's uh, looking at Peter, um, the Apostle Peter, one of the 12 disciples. And Peter is a guy that I relate with very well because he was kind of a fool, and I can be too. Um, Peter is a guy that made some mistakes pretty often. He spoke very quickly, didn't think about his words um, too much before they came out of his mouth. That got him in trouble a lot. Peter was a guy who kind of just stepped out into action without thinking of what those actions would cause, the consequences of them, and that got him into trouble at times. But he was a guy who was very um, passionate about the Lord as well. And I can relate to all of that. I can feel very much a lot of the things that Peter goes through. And in John chapter 21, what we're going to be looking at, it's kind of this moment where Peter goes from significant guilt into grace. He finds grace here. And um, we're going to kind of talk about this because Peter had really messed up. Peter had denied Jesus in a really significant way. And we're going to look at that a little more specific in a second. But Peter, because of his denial of Christ, because of 
um, him sinning and saying, no, I don't want what God has for me right now and going on his own way, he felt a significant amount of shame and guilt. He felt like a fraud. This is a guy who claimed that he was a huge follower of Jesus. He'd been walking with him for several years now. And as he's following Jesus, he winds up doing this really terrible thing. And then he feels like a a complete fraud, like it's a, a waste of time. He's faking all of it. It was worthless. And that's why the title of today's message is Followers or Frauds. Because I can relate to that feeling. I know there are a lot of us here today who can relate to that, where when we look at our own lives, we say, oh, I've been trying to pursue Jesus. I'm trying, I've been a Christian for a while. I've been coming to church for a while. But we find ourselves in this place where we do things we know we should not have done, where we delve into things that we know we are supposed to leave behind. And when we do that, we feel like failures. We feel like frauds. We feel like, what, who am I? This is not who I claim to be. And we feel this weight of shame and guilt on our hearts. And we find it hard to escape. We try to earn our way back into God's presence, or we try to just kick the can down the road long enough um, till we do enough stuff right to feel like, okay, well, it's behind me now. I'm a different guy now. And that weight of shame and guilt really weighs on us. And I want us to see part of Peter's story here and, and relate to it so that we can find grace. Um, explain a little bit about Peter, real specific, so we can really get into the story and understand the heart of what's going on behind it before we jump into John 21. Um, Peter, uh, right before Jesus was going to go to the cross, um, Jesus knew that he was going to go to the cross and die. He knew that this was all about to happen, so he's getting the disciples ready for that moment. He's trying to like prepare the way for it to happen. And as he's setting it up, um, he's talking to the disciples. Hey, guys, this is what's going to take place. And he says some interesting stuff to Peter. We'll we'll read this. This is Peter's talks here in Mark chapter 14, verse 27. It says, And Jesus said to them, the disciples, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster even crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Okay, this is where Peter really gets himself into some trouble. Um, Jesus is trying to set them up to what to expect. And Peter goes out on a limb and makes a really bold claim about how good of a follower he is. A bold statement. And it's very shortly after this that he completely falls apart on that statement. We won't read it, but it started in Mark 14, 66. What what happens? Um, Jesus is being accused. He's in this building being accused falsely of things that he didn't do. He's being spit on. He's being beaten. He's being mocked in this building. And Peter's right outside of the building. And outside of this building, there's this charcoal like fire built up and he's warming his hands there. And this person recognizes him there. Says a bystander notices him and thinks, that guy looks really familiar. I think I've seen that dude with the guy that's inside the building getting yelled at right now. So they call him on it and they question him and they're like, hey, aren't you one of that dude's disciples, one of his followers? And Peter says initially, it's like, no, I'm not one of his followers. I don't even know what you're talking about. He's trying to deflect the conversation, just trying to like put it behind him. 
Another person brings out the same thing. Another person notices, hey, I'm pretty sure you're the dude that was following that guy. I, I think you are. Again, same thing. Peter's like, no, I'm not. I, don't, I have no idea what you even mean by that. Keeps warming his hands. Finally, this person gets real bold and they, they come out with him and they're like, you are definitely the guy that was following him. I know for sure that you are. And this is where Peter really, really goes off the rails. It's no longer just him deflecting conversation anymore. It says that Peter brought curses on himself and then began to swear. What that's saying is that he was talking like, hey, if I'm a follower of this dude, Jesus, in there, let me be cursed and die. I'd rather be destroyed. I'm not a follower of that guy. And then he begins to cuss and swear about it, how much he's not a follower. Something to know that's really important is that back in this culture, it's kind of a big deal what he did there. But back then, if you had someone that was your teacher or your rabbi, there was like this person that was leading you, and you were to talk degrading about them, that was like seen as the biggest disgrace to whoever that teacher was possible. It was like you're defaming them and you're saying everything that they have to say is completely worthless. It's trash. They're not worth following. So not only is Peter just denying Jesus, he's like disgracing him. And it says something interesting, the crows or or the chickens crow um, twice. And it says that Peter broke down and he wept. That's the beginning of his shame and his guilt. Immediately we see just this heartbrokenness in Peter of feeling, I'm a fraud. What have I just done? I said that I was this follower, but clearly I'm not. And he's weeping in this place of shame and frustration and guilt. That's where Peter's at. Now we know the rest of the story. Jesus comes back from the grave. He goes to the cross, comes back from the grave, proves that he's triumphed over death, that he has the authority and the ability to bestow salvation on anybody who would take it. He comes back from the grave. He starts to interact with the disciples twice prior to what we're going to read here in John 21, but both times it's a little bit more like corporate or or group-oriented. He's not really interacting with one individual specific except for Thomas. Um, He's the only one who gets like one-on-one interaction. So you got to think this is happening over the course of like probably over a week after Jesus has come back. Peter has not had a one-on-one conversation with Jesus about what happened. That's all great that Jesus is back, but if you're Peter, you're still living in shame and guilt. You feel like a fraud and a failure, and you don't know what your place is anymore. You left everything behind, what you used to do to follow this guy, and now you've thrown it out the window. That's how he feels. So he desperately needs this moment to be with Jesus, to reconcile things or figure out what needs to happen. That's kind of where Peter's at. That's what's happening when we jump into John 21. So let's go ahead and read a couple verses. John 21, 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Okay. So some cool things that are happening here that I want us to be able to relate to. I want us to step into the shoes of Peter here. Peter, this moment, he heard earlier in what we read in Mark, 
Jesus said, hey, after I come back, I'm going to meet you guys in Galilee at some point. He didn't say exactly when. So I think Peter has got this mentality of, I don't know what to do, but I know maybe he might be in Galilee. He, doesn't, he knows that he doesn't want to keep failing, so he's trying to do the, the minimum to be where he should be. But also, he says, let's go fishing. I think this is Peter just trying to like roll with the punches or just sort of like pass time. He's just trying to kick the can down the road. He's just trying to go through the motions of life. He's doing what he knows. This is like the typical thing that he used to do. And it's funny, he says, let's go fishing. We'll go out on the Sea of Galilee. We'll go, we'll go fish together. And it's, it's interesting. It says they fish all night and they catch nothing. It was normal to fish at nighttime because uh, the fish would go out into the deeper part of the water. So when you threw the nets in, it'd be easier to sweep them all up than in the shallower, shallower waters. So that's where they are. They, they, they would take hours. It's, it's a really like backbreaking labor. They're doing this all night long. So I just want you to think about the frustration that you'd be feeling if you're Peter. Not only have you just failed at what you claimed was your calling, you feel like a fraud in following Jesus. But now what, what you did know how to do, the thing that you used to do, you're a failure at that too. Peter's in this place, and I can resonate with that, where sometimes I feel guilty. I feel this weight of shame, and I feel this frustration, and I'm deciding I'm just going to go through the motions and just see what I can do. I'm not doing anything super wrong anymore, but I'm just going through the motions of life. And I find myself doing all the things I normally would be doing, but they feel useless and worthless. They feel like they're producing nothing, because I know ultimately what I was called to do was to follow Jesus, and I failed. And that's why that shame that bears down on you makes everything else feel pointless. Now, in this case for Peter, it literally was pointless because they caught nothing. But that catching nothing leads to a really cool moment. Keep on reading verse four. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and then you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Okay, this is where the story starts to turn a little bit, and cool things start to happen. So it said it's the breaking of day. They caught nothing. They're probably exhausted. Think Peter's probably sitting in his boat, grabbing the nets, trying to clean them off. He's angry. Why? What are we even doing out here? What am I doing out here? I should... I should be doing something else. It's breaking day. They're a ways off. He's kind of bobbing in the water, floating, and they can see the silhouette of some guy walking on the shoreline. It's too dark to make out who it is exactly, but they just see this dude walking. You're sitting there in your frustration, Peter is, and they hear this guy call out, children, do you have any fish? And this is really funny because the word children that's used here is specifically a word that's meant to mean little boys or little girls. And Jesus knows that they didn't catch anything. That's why it's initiating something. Literally, Jesus is on the shoreline knowing that Peter and the other disciples are sitting there in this frustration. But Jesus, in his lighthearted love for them, starts to kind of pester them, joke with them. He says, hey, little boys, you guys uh, get any fish? No, we didn't get any fish. Hey, you should cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll catch something. So they do it and they catch this 
huge haul of fish. And it's so cool that Jesus does this because this is almost an exact mirror moment of what happens in Luke 5 when Jesus originally called Peter, James, and John to follow him. It's like Jesus is like nodding back to those first moments saying, hey, you guys remember when I did this? When I called you, I'm still that guy. I'm doing it again. You remember this? I want you guys to remember who I called you to be. I think that's so beautiful. While Peter's heart, he feels broken, he feels separated from God, whilst the other disciples probably feel very similar, like failures, they feel frustrated. Jesus is on that shore, not angry at them, not frustrated at them. He's the same loving God that they always knew before. He didn't change at all. He wants to play with them. He wants to talk with them. He's joking with them. He's bringing them in. He's loving them. That's such a cool moment. So they catch all this fish and they start to realize what's going on. We'll keep on going. Verse 7 says, The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so they just haul all these fish in. John's the quick-witted dude. He's kind of puts things together quicker than Peter. He's thinking, huh, this reminds me of something that happened earlier. Wait, actually, what was that guy's voice sounded like? Peter, that's Jesus. And you see something kind of awesome. Peter knows for him to experience healing, he just needs to get into the presence of God. So it says that he threw himself into the sea to immediately start swimming to the shore. That word through means to like cast in without any care to where it lands. This is a dude is literally like just cannonballing himself in there and just swimming his way. I think that's so cool because when we look at that moment, shows us what our hearts should be for Jesus when we're struggling, that we should do everything we can to just get into the presence of the Lord. I think it's funny as he's swimming there, he's swimming and paddling his way to shore. A hundred yards is not like a ton, but if you're going to swim it, it's a little bit long. Probably going to take the same amount of time for him to swim that it would have if they just paddled. Kind of goes back to the, he doesn't think too much about things before he does it. But Peter's in this water now and he's swimming. I can only imagine if I'm in Peter's shoes, what's going through his mind now? You got to start thinking, he has not had a one-on-one moment with Jesus yet. They haven't confronted one another yet about what's happened. Peter knows that Jesus knew what was going to happen because he told him about it before it took place. Peter knows what happened because he was there doing it. Now, if you're Peter, you're going to start feeling some tension in your spirit building up. 
what's going to happen when I hit that shoreline, when I get up to Jesus? Is he going to be mad at me? Is he going to be frustrated at me? Is he going to start berating me? Is he going to love me? Is he going to hug me? What's, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Now, I don't know about you guys. Um, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but you guys, I'm sure at some point in your life have had an argument with your spouse or people in your family, like a pretty harsh argument where you said some stuff you probably shouldn't have said that you regret. It made some real rough waves in the relationship. Maybe you went your separate ways. Maybe you tried to reconcile it, but there's just that, that weight. You kind of go away for a minute. You know the feeling when you first come back into contact with them, you haven't seen them face to face in a while. Just that like weird awkwardness, that tension of like, so are we good now? Or do you want me to do something for you? Like that, that tension that's inside. Peter's feeling that tension right now. What's going to happen when I get on that shore? And you know what? When he gets onto that shore, what happens, I don't think is what he would have liked. It says that Peter gets out onto the shore there. It says that they saw a charcoal fire. You know the last time they saw a charcoal fire? When Peter denied Jesus. The first thing Peter's confronted with when he steps out on that shore is the very thing that reminds him of how much of a fraud he is. And then what does Jesus do? There's no record of it saying that he ran up to him and gave him a hug. It says that Jesus says, hey man, why don't you go help get the fish? Think of how that would be feeling. If you're Peter, this is dragging the tension even further. His heart probably would have sunk a little bit. He doesn't know exactly what Jesus is inviting us in, so that's good, but also I don't know if he wants to like keep separate. I don't know what to think here. So Peter goes, and he goes with the other disciples. They get the fish, they bring them back, and they eat breakfast together. And you can think in that moment, for Peter, just that tension that's building of, I need to get this off of my chest. We need to reconcile this. We need to figure out what's going on between us. I need to talk about this. He probably ate there in silence. He didn't talk about it. That tension is just there. As Jesus looks around and he's, Jesus is probably interacting with everybody, they're kind of joking. He's asking them, hey, how are you guys doing? But for Peter, there's just this underlying weight of that guilt and that shame still on his heart. They're there and they finish up their breakfast and then the moment begins to happen. Let's keep on reading. Verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A very interesting interaction here. Um, The word that Jesus uses when he says, Do you love me? um, is a word that's very generic, actually, in its meaning. It's very open-ended. It's just, do you love me? It's trying to get a barometer of kind of, what do you feel? Just, do you love? Do you have love for me? Peter's response is, yes, Lord. The word yes means truly or assuredly. It's very aggressive. It says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word that he uses, that Peter uses, is the word phileo in Greek. And it means to love, but it's a little more specific. It means to care for or to like. So really what is happening here is you have Jesus, very open-ended. Hey, Peter, do you love me? 
Peter responds with? Yes, Lord, you know that I care about you. It's not exactly what Jesus asked. And not only is that exactly the, the thing that happens there, is Jesus' question wasn't just that, you, do you love me? It was that, do you love me more than these? Again, it's like he's putting Peter on the spot. Do you remember what happened in what we read in Mark 14? He said, even if all of them deny you, I'm not going to do it. And now Jesus sitting there in front of the whole group says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter's response is very interesting. He's trying to get Peter to come out of his shell and just talk to him about it. But what I think is interesting and what, I, what hits me is that Jesus is offering grace to Peter right now. But for Peter, because of his pride, Peter is just seeing this as getting his nose rubbed in it. And Peter, in his response, is showing us that he thinks that he can earn his way back into God's grace, that he's just got to respond the way, way, right way. He's got to fight for it, and then he'll show God how much he actually loves him. He's just trying to rattle off the right stuff. So Peter starts with that response, and Jesus is like, okay, you're not going to really come out with it here. Let's try again. Let's do a different way. Read uh, verse 16. It says, And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's that generic word again. Do you love me? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord. Assuredly, truthfully, you know that I phileo you. You know that I care about you. It's not what Jesus is asking. Peter continues down that road. This time he moved from It's not about, do you love me more than all them? It's just, do you love me? It's more personal now. But Peter didn't answer. Read verse 17. Jesus keeps going. It says, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, something I forgot to mention, these other times, I think it's really cool that um, even though Peter's response is in full, Jesus' response is still, tend my lambs or feed my sheep. Because he's saying, I know that you're not being honest with me. I know that you're not coming right out and say it, but I still want you. He's still affirming that in Peter. I still want you to come alongside me, even though you're not in the right spot, still want you to. But this third time's different. Because this time when Jesus says, do you love me? He doesn't use the generic word. This time he used the same word that Peter was using. It's like, it's like Jesus is not saying, hey, Peter, do you love me anymore? anymore? He's saying, Peter, do you care about me? This time it cuts to Peter's heart. He can't hide it anymore. And Peter responds different. He doesn't jump out the gate with a super strong response. Yes, being all aggressive about that. He says, Lord, you know everything. That word know that he uses there means to see. What Peter's getting at is, Lord, you saw everything. You saw what I did. You knew it. You know exactly how far I drifted from you. You know how I dishonored you in my actions. But you saw it. But Lord, you know that I do care about you. This time he's not trying to sugarcoat it, but he is being honest. He's saying, Lord, I do care about you, but 
to the degree that I do is up for debate. And you know how much it really is. It's not as much as I, I thought. The lesson we learn from this part, and this is really the only takeaway that I want us to write down. This is the thing that the Lord has really spoken in my heart that means so much to me. It's that grace is found in honesty and humility. You don't find grace in pride. You don't find grace when you're trying to earn your way to God. You find grace when you humble yourself before the Lord and you just tell him, Lord, this is where I'm at. I messed up. And Lord, I'm not where I should be. And to be honest, I probably don't love you the way that I should love you. And what does Jesus say? Feed my lambs, Peter. That's that grace. Peter's receiving this in this moment. It's really beautiful. It's special. And what I love about this moment as I look at it is it reminds me so often in our own life when we claim to be followers of Jesus. We claim that we're followers. We've been maybe going to church for years. And we find ourselves starting to slip back into things we know we shouldn't be doing. That list can go on and on. It can be things as simple as anger, these outbursts of anger, being frustrated in ways that we shouldn't be against people, talking to people the way we shouldn't. It can be watching pornography when we know we ought not. It could be alcoholism. It could be drugs. It could be hanging out with old friends and we fall into old patterns where the things that we talk about, we know we should not be talking about swearing the things that are, the words we're using are words we would never normally use. And we come out of these situations after we've done any of these things and a whole list of other stuff after saying that we're followers of Jesus and we feel like frauds. And the weight of shame and the weight of guilt is on our heart. And what this shows me in this moment that we just read is we need to drop the pride. We need to drop. There is no grace in that. You can't earn it back. The way you find grace is by just being honest with the Lord. I would also encourage you maybe be honest with some trusted leaders in your life around you that can encourage you and help push you in the right directions. But the Bible says that there is no condemnation in Christ. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. If you feel condemnation, if you're living under this load of sin and shame, and this guilt that wears on you, bears on you constantly, that is not what you are meant to live in. Now, the Bible does say that there is such thing as a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. We should feel bad about things that we've done that are wrong. But that feeling of sorrow should lead us to that grace. Now, when Peter is honest with Jesus here, something really awesome happens. Jesus responds to him different now. Look at verse 18. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you, carry you where you do not want to go. And this Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, little bit confusing what happens here, but it's, it's really awesome. Jesus is saying, Peter, I recognize where you're at right now. 
says, Peter, when you were young, you used to just kind of drift wherever you desired. You did what you wanted to do. Lord, that's, Peter, that's why you, you're, you're in the spot you're in. You're, you're not fully mature yet. That's what he's trying to get through to him. But he says, but you know what, Peter? One day, even though right now you feel like you failed and you've fallen short, even though right now you don't have it into you to stand up for me, Peter, one day when you're old, you will be willing to die for me. You will be willing to set aside your desires and stretch out your hands willingly and deny yourself for my sake. That's a really cool thing. I mean, it's heavy because what Jesus is talking about there is crucifixion, that Peter would eventually be crucified himself. But for Peter, as heavy as it is, it would also be this encouragement. And the lesson that I learned in that is that for us, we need to understand we are in a process of growing with Jesus. When you mess up, when you sin, when you make mistakes, when you deny Jesus in your own life and the disobedience that we walk out sometimes, we are works in progress. And there is grace for us and Jesus sees it. And you know what he calls to Peter? Hey man, follow me. I just want you to follow me. I'm going to work with you through it. How beautiful is that? It gives me goosebumps thinking about that. That that is our God. Peter is still that young guy right now. He's still a little bit wishy-washy on things. He hasn't grown into his full maturity just yet. But Jesus is saying, I see and I believe and I know who you can be and you will be and I'm working with you in it. Now look at what Peter does next because this is where we're going to close out and this is important. Verse 20 says, And Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So that's John that's coming up behind him. It says, And when Peter saw him, he, saw, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, this is very cool as well, but it also has a weight to it. Because what is happening here, Peter just got told that he's going to eventually go die through crucifixion. Now, a lot of people think, oh, he's jealous of John's calling. He wants to know. I don't think it's jealousy. I think he's scared. Wouldn't you be? You just got told that you're going to eventually die of crucifixion for Jesus? He's kind of like scared. He's still young Peter. He's still having a hard time. And now he's being told, hey, this is what, this is going to be the battle in your life. The battle of faith is pretty big for you, Peter. And Peter is trying to compare to others. He wants to know, well, what about John? What's John going to have to do? He's comparing his battle, his struggle with others. And you know what Jesus says? He says, that's not for you to worry about. What are my plans for John's life? Those are my plans for John's life. It doesn't matter with you. You just worry about you. You follow me. This is the temptation that's in all of us. As we struggle to pursue Jesus in faith, as we all face different battles of faith, whether that be taking big steps of faith for Jesus or whether that just be simple obedience for Jesus, 
We look at the struggles we have and we say, oh, this is really hard. I'm having a rough time right now. And we like to say, well, how's that person doing? What did they do? Well, they got a lot worse than me. Or man, I have it way harder than them. This is not fair. And we like to compare. And Jesus's point, and the thing that we got to learn from this is all we need to worry about is our personal walk between us and Jesus. Every moment, every day. And the final lesson that we see in this and what Jesus is ultimately getting at, he's talking about all of these different things and showing Peter where grace is found and calling him to continue to follow him and saying, hey, you're in process, you're maturing, I'm going to grow you, I'm going to teach you how to follow me. Eventually, you're going to be so much stronger in your faith than you are right now, Peter. As Peter's hearing all of this stuff, Peter is, or should be at least, learning and realizing that the question that we posed at the beginning that Peter would be feeling or the thing that, that Peter was going on of am I a follower or am I, am I a fraud? That question or that kind of two sides of it, one or the other, that's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy that you are either a follower of Jesus or you are a fraud. That's not what Jesus says at all. That's what the enemy uses in our lives to make us isolate ourselves and separate ourselves off and not pursue the grace and think that we can earn it back. And if we do enough right stuff, then we'll feel the presence of God again. Meanwhile, we are building these personal barriers of pride between us and the Lord. There is no such thing as either follower or fraud. If you have accepted Jesus, if he's forgiven you of your sins, if you've reached out to him, if you felt that sorrow and desire for, I want to repent, I need forgiveness from from him. If you felt that and you've received that from him, you are always a follower of him. You always have grace in him. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't feel sad and heartbroken when we make mistakes. That's the Lord through the Spirit working in us to help us bring us back to grace and continue to refine us. But we shouldn't allow ourselves to feel like Peter did where this weight of guilt and shame keeps us separated from God for weeks on end. So we go to our job each day. So we sit at home and watch movies. We have conversations with our husbands and wives and other family members. And we just continue to go through the motions separated from God while we wallow in our guilt. That's not for us as followers of Jesus. I want to encourage you guys all today to remember these truths. Remember what Jesus is saying to Peter here, because I know this is so easy to forget. I know I constantly need to be reminded of this, because I very quickly find myself falling back into pride and guilt. So I hope that you guys are are encouraged by this. I hope that as we just heard this story, that there were things that the Holy Spirit pointed out and, and burdened on your heart. I hope that if you are here today and you are sitting in this chair and you have felt this constant pressure of guilt and shame, you felt like you're a fraud. I hope that today as you heard this, that you would lean into that humble humility before Jesus and honesty so that you would find that grace that Jesus has for you. Again, he has peace for you. It's not, his intent is not that you'd feel that condemnation and that, that guilt That's not his heart.
Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.